Thank you, Chris. Our Savior today has given us two texts. The first one uh, is about how we use our freedom as a follower of Jesus. The second one is a demonstration of that freedom in action. Both texts by the Apostle Paul, and I would invite you to pull out your Bible if you haven't already and turn. Let's read these texts together. You may choose even to stand as an act of worship. The first one is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to be reading the New Revised Standard Version. I invite you to read whatever version you would read. But when we're done reading, uh, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Our second passage comes from Philemon, the book we've been studying. So uh, flip over to, uh, to the right there if you're in paper, just uh, up to Hebrews, and then go back one page there. Philemon is chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Again, I invite you to read aloud with me. So if you consider me your partner, Paul writes, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated if, if, you, if you stood. So in this first text, the Galatians text, Paul teaches the follower of Jesus how to use their freedom. Coming out of the last year, I found myself arrested by the teaching here of the Apostle Paul. He offers a warning to us when we neglect the great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's a warning here. You see it in verse 15 of Galatians 5. If, however, he says, you bite and devour one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Someone told me recently there was a sign in a bakery shop, and you come in and it says, if you're wearing a mask, we're going to add $5 to your bill. If you take one off and throw it on the floor, we'll reduce your bill by $2. <laughs> wow, it's kind of come to that, right? But, you know, we have been biting and devouring one another over the last year. Um, we've been arguing about masks, about monuments, uh, about uh, candidates, uh, about gender and power, so many things. And we've been having these arguments on the sidewalk. We've been having them in boardrooms and classrooms at the dinner table. We've been biting and devouring not our food but one another. And I don't know about you. I have the scars to prove it, and I am tired this imagery of biting and devour, it, it conjures to mind a pack of animals fighting over a piece of meat, 
biting and devouring, scratching and clawing at one another. And Paul says, take care that that's not you. Literally, look, he says, see. Because when you look and see what's happening, he's suggesting you may not be accomplishing what you think you're accomplishing. Right? He, he says, it's, you're not consuming the meat. You're not even consuming one another. The risk here is that you're being consumed. <laughs> that you're the meal. Right? Being consumed. I, I relate to this. I, I think so well-intentioned, I have kind of howled into the wind over the last year. You know, I watch the news and I say, no way. Or I even watch the newscaster and I say, he's biased. I find myself um, venting in frustration with a third party, a friend or something. I find myself mansplaining to someone in my family or maybe even a stranger. You know, the data shows blah, blah, blah. All of that seems to be good to me. I'm giving a gift to the world with my erred frustration. But in, in fact, I'm exhausting myself. I may even be wounding myself. Be careful, Paul says, that you are not being consumed. That word consumed is a word that shows up elsewhere in the New Testament one time, one, only one other time. And it's when James and John, two disciples, say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Luke 9, 54. They're speaking of their neighbors, the Samaritans. And Jesus says no. In fact, he rebukes them. And I just wonder if in all of our righteous indignation at the world, you know, if in our sense of the vulnerability and our desire to kind of get the universe back on track, this anger, this clawing and biting, if we're actually not just being consumed. I have the exhaustion to think there's some deep wisdom in this passage in my own life. Is it possible that we're calling down fire on ourselves? And you go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, the stuff we're arguing about is really important stuff. It really matters. And I get that, you know. You go, well, Paul, wait, what then of truth? What then of justice? What then of freedom? You know, liberty and justice for all. Don't these matter anymore in America? Shouldn't they matter? We fight for these things. Is this the end of our theological arguments? Is it all out of bounds? Is that what the apostles say? We can't debate anymore? No. Actually, Paul's in the middle of a theological debate at this very moment, right, in Galatians. If you read the whole book, you'll see he says, you foolish Galatians. He starts the book by saying, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed, even if it's an angel. So he cares deeply about truth and justice, and he's advocating for it strongly. But he's not biting and devouring. And that's the warning here. You see, the problem isn't debating um, an issue. It's diminishing a person. This is about love, or really the lack of love. This is about loving our neighbors more than we love ourselves. This is not about winning an argument uh, um, if it means losing a brother or a sister. Think about this. There is a difference between uh, disagreement and divisiveness. 
One's not bad. The other is devastating. Biting and devouring, Paul says. It's very different from speaking the truth in love, which is what we do when there's a disagreement, right? Divisiveness says, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and I'm out of here, right? There's a division. Speaking the truth in love actually gives us an opportunity to appreciate one another and to find God's truth, to bring our truths under the lordship of Jesus Christ and his truth through his word and spirit. And so Paul's caution seems very relevant to us in America today. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Wow, what a challenge. What a challenge. So, so first in the Galatians text, we see Paul teaches the follower of Jesus how to use their freedom. In the second text that we read, the Philemon text, Paul demonstrates the use of that freedom in his own life. And coming out of this year, I find myself yearning for an experience of what that would look like. Because, you know, it's, with all the tensions and frustrations, it's far too easy just to give up on other people. You know, that, what, that guy who always says, what, blank, blank, blank. Or give up on relationship altogether. I reminded of Rod Stewart who says, you know, the next time I think about getting married, I'm going to find a woman I don't like and just give her a house. <laughs> right? I hope it hasn't gotten that bad, but, but it feels that way. And so in the context of that feeling, I find myself profoundly drawn to Philemon. I know you forgive me for spending six weeks on this little letter, the shorter letter of the Apostle Paul, but there's so much in here that we need now. I, mean, I believe this letter is the letter for our moment. Because the theme of the letter is reconciliation. Think about it. The letter is all about two men who have divided, who have become alienated from, from one another, Philemon and Onesimus. The, the letter is, is about the good news of Jesus Christ and how the gospel itself brings reconciliation, how it uh, overcomes power dynamics, how it transforms injustice how it actually heals relational alienation. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings reconciliation. We see that demonstrated in this little letter called Philemon. I, I think it's for our time, actually. And, and I find myself saying, you know, wouldn't you love to have been there in that room when it was read? Just, just, just put yourself in the scene. Imagine that you're in like a Roman... Atrium, if you've been to Pompeii, you can, you can visualize an atrium of a wealthy man, and it's a little bit of a courtyard open in the center so some light can come in. But this one is packed. It's in Colossae. It's the Lord's Day. It's Sunday, and the followers of Jesus have gathered from the neighborhoods around to come and proclaim Jesus is Lord together. So they're practically hanging from the rafters, crammed in there. And as you're worshiping Jesus, your belly filled with a love feast and your soul hungry for the word of God. There's a little rustling back way up there in the front. Someone's just come in the door. A little group, a little delegation. Who is that? And you're looking and you see someone you recognized. That's, is that, that's Onesimus. And you can hear the whispering, Onesimus. He, he had been a slave in this very house. And uh, he had run away. Onesimus. Oh my gosh. We thought he was dead. 
is that possible he's alive? Well, he's dead now. Why would he come back here, right? Because the slave was a property of the Roman master. It could be whipped at any time, subject to execution for running away. You would never come back, and yet here's Onesimus. And of course, immediately every neck snaps. You can hear the pop as people look across the room to see Philemon. Because Philemon, he's the other guy in this estranged uh, configuration. Philemon is the guy who owns the courtyard. Philemon is the guy who owns the house. Philemon is the guy that seems to own half of this neighborhood. He's very wealthy, and he's the guy that Onesimus offended. We don't know exactly how it happened, but we noticed those two guys weren't talking for several days back months ago. And uh, one day, Onesimus just disappeared. Slave is gone. Philemon was like, where's Onesimus? He got angry. He got angry. We were all worried about our safety at that time. And it turns out he was gone, and he stole something from Philemon. We, uh, rumor was that he stole something, maybe silver or supplies for his journey. Could have been a horse. We, we don't know. But now, Philemon, this wealthy man, he lacks something, and he needs to regain what he lost. And here's the man who took it from him. You know, forgiveness wasn't a value in Roman culture. And so you could feel the tension in the room. Everyone's afraid, what's going to happen next? Well, thankfully, it's a social situation where, you know, right now nothing can happen because there's a guy up front who's talking. Standing next to Onesimus, there's another man. His name is Tychicus. And Tychicus is saying that he's got two letters to read to us today. He's going around to the different houses, the oikos is what they call it, the family or house, where Christians are gathered today across the city of Colossae to read two letters, and one letter is for every oikos. But he's got a letter, he says, that's just for us. That's just for light, for Philemon, from the Apostle Paul, handwritten. Now, wouldn't you love to be there and hear these words read for the first time? I mean, if I'm there, I'm immediately looking over at Philemon, the big guy. I want to see Philemon's face as Paul calls him to forgive. Listen to what Paul says. If Onesimus has wronged you in any way, I'm sorry, he says, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. That's verse 17, right? He's saying, Philemon, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Now, what? Is that that surprise? Is that anger? He says, what? Look at his face. Welcome Onesimus as I would welcome you. You're a rabbi. He's a slave. You're a good man. He's a scoundrel. You do good things. He has stolen from me. To say nothing of his life, he's a thief. Welcome him as I could welcome. It's all of a sudden Paul's, what Paul is doing with these words is like he's stepping into the room himself and he's standing in front of Philemon himself saying, don't, don't look at him. Or when you look at him, I want you to look at me. When you welcome him, I want you to welcome me. Let me stand in for him in front of you in all of your rage and indignation and I ask you for forgiveness. And Philemon can't even think of how that's possible. What? I want to hurt him, not you. He must pay. But Paul says, no, no. You 
You look at me. Paul stands as a brother before Onesimus. Paul stands as a brother before Philemon. Welcome him as you would welcome me. And then I would want to turn over and I want to look at Onesimus' face to see what it looks like as Paul asks Onesimus to seek forgiveness. And as he hears the price of forgiveness, Paul says in verse 18, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul's saying that to Philemon. But wouldn't you love to see Onesimus' face as those words are read? What, Onesimus thinks, what would Paul pay a ransom for my crime, for my life? What account does Paul have? He's in chains himself under house arrest in Rome. Why would someone so righteous and good pay the, for the crime of someone so lost and broken? Why would somebody on death row offer love so far away? It touches me, and i, I got to believe there are tears that just begin to stream down. Onesimus' face, the young man, when he realizes he has a brother who's standing before him to, to offer him the price of his crime and pay forgiveness on his behalf to release him and to reconcile him. This is a demonstration of freedom in Paul's life as he stands as a brother before these two men. And Tychicus, he's looking around the room, and I picture him having that kind of a, a wry smile on his face like he knows he has just lit a fuse to something that is about to blow. Because this is not just about these two men. Oh, no. There's a story in every person's life in that room. Many of them are slaves. I, I told you before, between a quarter and a third of the people of Colossae, we believe, they were slaves. And so there are a bunch of slaves in that room. And what would it mean to them to hear Tychicus read Paul's words? It says, ah, don't welcome him back as a slave. Welcome him as a brother. And they're like, ping. Really? Freedom? So Tychicus knows. He's like, he can see it happening. They're, the penny is dropping for all these slaves. And then also for um, the elites that are in the room. And they're not a lot. They're a small minority in the, in the Roman culture, but they are there. Philemon is one. Paul is one. There are others in there, maybe Tychicus himself, and there are few, but they are of great influence. And so to, to hear Paul introduce himself to this audience in this handwritten letter, not as Paul the apostle of Christ Jesus, like he does elsewhere, but, but as Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, see what he did there? He identified with the weak, with those who do not have influence, those who are bound and not free. He identifies with them. And, and in that moment, Martin Luther writes, Paul empties himself of his rights in order to compel Philemon also to waive his rights. And every other elite person in the world is going, what rights do I have that I need to wave to? And so the sound you're hearing is the sound of minds being blown across the room. This isn't just about two men. This is about a culture in Philemon's house, in his oikos. The culture of Jesus is breaking out. We talked a few weeks ago about the oikumene, which is the Greek word from which we get our word economy, the new way of life that, that showed up and spread through the house churches of the first century followers of Jesus Christ. And here it is. 
It's a culture of reconciliation. If anyone's being consumed in this room, it's that they're being consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit, forging a new culture in the house of Philemon. Reconciliation out of love. A free man has become a slave, that's Paul, to free a man who was once a slave, that's Onesimus. Paul's a reconciler. Paul demonstrates in Philemon what he teaches in Galatians. And and, and Paul's calling the whole room, and us too, to a new way, to, to the way of Jesus. He's calling us away from the way of the world into the way of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, our Savior says. Jesus said, if, you're, if you say of your brother or sister, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now he's talking about the Valley of Hinnom. If you've been to Jerusalem, it's the valley just south of Jerusalem where they burned their trash, where the trash was consumed. He said, that, that'll be you if you say you fool. Jesus said, if your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. That's Matthew 5. Jesus said, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Talking his little story here, a parable. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Matthew 5, 25. So, so let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's listen to Jesus. Where do you need reconciliation? I mean, who are you in this story? You might be either character. If you're like me, you're at times both. You need forgiveness. And you need to forgive. Oh, noble Philemon, who has hurt you? Think about your own life. Why so hard to look across the room and forgive? What wounds do you nurse? What losses have you suffered? It's real. Maybe it was so long ago you can't remember. Maybe it was so painful you can't really say. Maybe it happens so often that nothing but your soul tallies the cost and compounds the hidden interest. Was it your parents, your friends, your spouse, an employee? Was it your health, your country? Was it your church? Oh, young Onesimus, what do you fear? Think about your own life. Why so hard to enter this room and be forgiven? What charge is laid against you that keeps you running? What could you steal to recover what's been stolen from you? What enslaves your soul? even as your body breaks free? Is it your past? Is it an accusation? Is it pride or guilt, shame or bitterness? Is it the satisfaction of indignation or the indignity of mercy? Whether we are Philemon or Onesimus, our Savior calls us and says, come. Come to terms with your brother. Come to terms with your sister on the way to court. And we are all on our way to the heavenly courts. 
So let us ask ourselves, whom do I hold a fool in my heart? Who has something against me? Whom have I accused? And who accuses me? Does anybody come to your mind? Take a moment and ask the Spirit to bring someone to your mind. Might be a whole group of people. Could be just one person. And pray. We, we learn in verse 22 that Philemon is praying as he hears this letter. P pray. And then pursue forgiveness. Pursue reconciliation. Is, is there a way that the Lord might open a door for you to find yourself in the presence of this person or this group such that you can have a conversation like this where you say something like, hey, let's put the past behind us. Let's put our Savior between us. Let's put a new relationship ahead of us. You know, whatever divides us is so much less than the one who binds us. And if the price of reconciliation, and there always is a price to reconciliation, let's remember the cross where the price was paid. Paul's words point us to the cross. You have an elder brother who to God speaks from the cross. Your elder brother, Jesus, the man from Nazareth, speaks to God about you from the cross. That's what he's doing there. He's saying, oh God, welcome her, welcome him as you welcome me. Just like Paul. And he's saying, oh God, if he or if she has wronged you in any way, if they owe you anything, charge that to my account. I will repay it. That's what Paul says. But it's Jesus speaking from the cross. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And, and Paul describes this in more detail in the other letter that Tychicus will read that day in Colossians, verses 19 and 20 of the first chapter there. Here's what Paul writes. Of the man Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Say all things. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And that is the price of reconciliation. He's pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Now, when we say reconciled, what we mean is to overcome what divides us, to overcome what disconnects us. And, and God in Jesus Christ has overcome what disconnects us from himself, and God in Jesus Christ has overcome what disconnects us from one another. And so Christians believe we do not have to create reconciliation. We don't have to make reconciliation. It's already been made. We just have to receive it as a free gift from the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we share it with others. Young Onesimus, running in fear, you can never outdistance the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He says, I have paid the price for you. Noble Philemon, indignant in all of your anger, there's no wound that can't be healed by the blood of this cross, I have paid the price. What this means is, wherever you go, whatever you do, 
if ever you face an adversary or fear an adversary, you have an elder brother with you. Just like the Paul, the Apostle Paul steps into that room. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, now steps into this scene with you before your adversary. You have an elder brother, an advocate, a mediator within you with healing for your wounds, within you with strength for your fears. He's saying, my blood has been shed. The price has been paid. Your debt is gone. Oh, let us worship the Savior. He is so good. And can it be, as the old hymn says, that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flared with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. This is the 4th of July, today. Decision hangs in the air in America right now, as it did in the house of Philemon. Have you ever noticed about that about Philemon? It ends just short of resolution. Don't you want to know what happened, right? It's because Philemon has to make a decision. Paul is calling him to make his own decision. And you know what? That's true for us as well. You have a decision that needs to be made. The gospel calls for a response. And so what decision will you make today? If you have not yet knelt at the cross of Jesus Christ, as your friend and pastor, I urge you to come and kneel before Jesus. We would love to talk to you about this step of faith. Uh, please come to upc.org Jesus right now. Come right now and click the pray button and, and you'll open up a Zoom call and we can talk to you about this. A brief call, but an important call that will bring eternal life into your life. Kneel with us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Who could you trust more than the one who gives his life for you in love? Who would you rather have speak to yourself when you come into the courtroom of heaven? Would you have your own actions and your own past and your own words speak for yourself, or would you rather have your elder brother, Jesus Christ, speaking for you? Come to the cross and kneel with us and receive the gift of life as you say yes to Jesus. Or if you already kneel at the cross with us, then let us leave our gift here at the altar and go be agents of reconciliation in the world. In, in our neighborhoods, that's where it starts. You can come to upc.org slash next door and learn about how you can join us in doing that. Remember Paul's words in verse 19. Our lives are not our own. They're not anymore. That's true for you, and it's true for me. If you, or if you kneel at the cross, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the joy and privilege of joining Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people. That's what we're all about at UPC. That's what we're doing through next door. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me close with the words of Langston Hughes, the great poet. He once wrote, Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be the land where every man and woman 
is free. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the mystery of what happened 2,000 years ago when you came to the earth, not as the creator, but as a creature, died on the cross and broke the power of sin and death and evil. You set the captives free. You have set us free. Someone today will come and say yes to you, and they today will be set free to experience reconciliation to the full. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us that it may be so and that we may be again this week agents of that reconciliation. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake and for his glory, not for our reputation, but for his. Amen.